There was a story that came on Animal Planet, for those of you who watch the show. And they had gone around and they were rescuing animals. And they had rescued this dog who was just kept chained up outside, abused, neglected. It had been chained up for so long without any attention to its needs that the collar had made a, a, a very sore area in its neck and it was uh, raw and uh, just it was a sad state for the animal. And they were, they were showing how they went in and they rescued this animal and they brought it in and they took care, they put it to sleep so that they could uh, take care of all the, the problems that it had with its neck and other places. And they got it all treated and bandaged up and fed the dog and were doing all sorts of things for it. And then what they wanted to do was to bring it back out and, and to have somebody adopt it. But they had to go through a test. And so in this test, what they do is they take some food and they put the food in a bowl. They slide the bowl into the cage and then they take a hand. It's a fake hand. And they reach inside the cage with the fake hand. And if the dog is still aggressive, it will go after the hand because it thinks the hand is trying to take the food. So they reached in with the hand and sure enough, the dog attacked the hand, ripped it to shreds. And so they kept trying to work with the dog and trying to help the dog. And so they, they gave the test again. And again, the dog ripped at the hand and tore it all up. This went on for a number of times. And they kept going through the test, put the hand in there to see if the dog would pass the test. They wanted the dog, dog to pass the test, but the dog has to pass the test in order for it to be adopted out or anyone else to be able to, to do that. And the, the dog never did. And they had to put the dog down. What the dog didn't understand was all the, the hands that were coming in were not there to take anything away. The hands were there to test them, to prove him so that he could go on to much better things. Things that that poor dog never had in its life. They wanted it to have that opportunity to get those things. Well, very often in our lives, God is trying to, to do things for us and with us, and we're not receiving it. We're tearing up the hand. We're not quite uh, understanding what it is that God wants us to do. Last week, remember the diagram, Ethel alluded to it here the, this morning, that we receive all kinds of things. There are things in our life that are good, things in our life that are bad, and we get to receive from those things. The enemy's purpose is to try and cut you off from all the things that are good and to tie you into all the things that are bad. God's purpose is to expose those things that are bad and keep you tied into all those things that are good. Some of the good things we saw were the, the Word of God. That's a good thing. The Spirit of God. The five-fold ministry gifts. There are godly friends that we have in our life. There are many things that God has put into our life for the purpose of building us up, moving us along. But you know what? Just about every one of those things has some flaws in it that we can find. People even find flaws in the Word of God. And people are out there always criticizing, well, how can the Bible says this? How can the Bible say this and this? They're trying to pick on that. On, I'm not trying to find false flaws in it. And certainly this is what the enemy wants to try and do. He wants to get you to see the flaws in the things that are there to, to do you good. And if you keep focusing on the flaws, you won't receive the good. That's why when we get out there, you have uh, men and women in ministry. And what's the devil go and do? Guess the media gets other people in your lives always to, well, they're no good. Look at what they're doing here. Look at this. Why did they do this? Gets you to question. Because he wants you to get you cut off 
from the sources that are feeding you good things. We looked at some of the examples in the Bible. We looked at uh, people that were good folks. Jeroboam was a good person. He was outstanding in all the things that the king ever gave him to do. He was so good that God said, let's take Jeroboam and let's make him king over the land. And what happened as soon as Jeroboam took the throne? Thoughts came to him. Israel, if they keep on going down to Jerusalem, is going to leave you, kill you, and your whole household. You need to do something different. And so he came up with an idea of the two golden calves in Dan and Bethel and set up a whole new way to, to worship Jehovah that became so corrupted and was always a thorn in the flesh to the folks in the north. Other kings came in and they brought in idolatry. Other kings came in and even down in the south we saw one king who was spared death by a priest and that priest hid him away, taught him the things of God and when the time came, put him in the place to be king. And when that priest died, that king turned from God and followed after the ways of other people and even killed off some of the members of Jehoiada's family. It's amazing what we can do when we get cut off from the things that are good. Just know this, everything that is good in your life will have some flaws, will have some drawbacks. Everything, everything will. When those kids were born, how many of you thought when they came out, oh, perfect, wonderful. It didn't take too long to figure out that they weren't. But we didn't send them back. We held on to them. Just because there are some flaws doesn't mean that you can't get some good things out of it. And there's people in your life, there's things in your life that God is using, there's even jobs that God has put in your life, all for good things, but the enemy wants to get you cut off. And that's his purpose. But if you stay, cut on, uh, stay connected to the right things, you will continue to produce good things like faith, good things like peace, good things like joy. These things will be in your life and they will be, be helpful. One of the things that we do in order to continue to produce faith, produce, have our factories, so as we, we put them last time, doing good things, is we have to stay on the right course. We have to stay in the right direction. And in Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to read some things about that. He says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, that sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Well, who was this great cloud of witnesses? Well, the chapter before, he was going over all the people who were in faith. Abraham was in faith. All these folks that were in faith and the things that they did. They are our cloud of witnesses. Now, we can't see them, can we? But we read about them. That's why we go to the Word. That's why we stay in the Old Testament. That's why we stay in the New Testament, keep reading about these folks that went before us so that I can learn from them. I can be encouraged from them. These are great witnesses. But all those great witnesses, didn't they have some flaws? Didn't Abraham have some flaws? Didn't he have some places he came up short? Moses, didn't he come up short for a long time? Other people in the, in the Bible, they came up short. Paul, he wasn't that like, great of a guy in the beginning. You probably wouldn't have picked him. But now he's in the cloud of witnesses for us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. 
Now, anything in life that has joy to it takes a little bit of work. How many of y'all watch the cooking, uh, cooking shows? And they show you the end product. The end product of the meal. Doesn't that look joyful? Doesn't that look... Wouldn't that bring you glad tidings in your life when you... You say, oh, look at that. All that cheese and all that meat and all that... We start looking at all the things. Yeah. <laughs> you're hungry. You're ready to go make it. But in order to, to make it, you have to first off go out to the store and get all those things. And that's not always the most fun thing to do, go out to the store to, to do that. You have to go out to the store to get the things. Then you've got to come on home and you've got to cut all the things up and prep all the things and get them ready. And then after you cut them all up, then you've got to cook them and you've got to follow the directions and do them in the right order. And then you've got to patiently wait while it's in the oven and it's cooking and then it comes out. And we have great joy out of that. Not just a little bit of joy. It seems like, though, the, the more joy you get out of something, the more work it takes. Whatever, whatever it takes, to, if you put a whole lot of work into it, generally you're going to get a whole lot of joy out of it. If you don't put a whole lot of work into it, you're not going to get a whole lot out of it. Jesus was the author and finisher of our, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He had his eyes set on that joy. So he stayed down here on this earth for 33 plus years, suffered many things, was put on a cross, beaten, crucified. How much during his three year, three and a half years of ministry, how much did he endure from the Pharisees, from the people? How much betrayal? Why did he do it? Because of the joy that was set before him. And just about anything that we all do that, that is joyful you know, whether it be sports, you have a trainer, you have um, people that are in the, uh, in the coaches, they're there to help get you better. If you're a musician, then you have people that are instructors and they teach you how to, to get things better. If you're in the entertainment arts, they're gonna, you have instructors and the people that are there to teach you how to get better at what you're doing. And so you have that coach, you have that trainer, you have that person in your life. And generally, when they get involved in your life, they're pointing you to the joy. But how many of y'all know it's not so joyful in their presence? They make you do some things that you don't want to do. They make you do it longer than you want to do it. I'm ready to do this for an hour. No, you've got eight hours of that. Well, I can't put eight hours. And, you know, they, they are real tough on you sometimes. But it's for the joy that's set before us. There's some good things that are out there if we'll continue. It says, He endured the cross, the spies and the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, not always can we endure very long. Sometimes our endurance is kind of, kind of shallow. We don't, uh, we don't last very long with that. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. How many of you have... We've gotten abuse from people. We've gotten hostility. And down on the inside of us, we get a little weary. How many of us, we say, you know what? I've been, I've been doing this for a long time. I'm getting kind of tired. Going out there and doing this all the time, every day. Working hard at this thing. No one cares. No one appreciates. These kind of thoughts come in. You see, you, you have those thoughts come in into your factory. What kind of stuff are you going to produce? I wonder what kind... You can't be doing that. He endured hostility from sinners against himself. And we need to be careful because if we are not cautious on this area, we're going to become weary. We're going to become discouraged. If I have become weary, if I have become discouraged, just know I have lost sight of the joy. 
I've lost sight of what it is that we're supposed to be doing. Why it is that we're here. Yeah, but I thought, doesn't matter what you thought. He says in verse 4, You have not yet resisted the bloodshed, striving against sin. You haven't bled yet. If you have, you haven't bled enough. Need to bleed some more. How much did Jesus bleed? When you bleed that much, you can talk. We haven't bled that much yet. But Jesus endured. He kept going. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. So just think about it this way. If God is leaving you alone and not chastening you, he doesn't love you. The more God chastens you, the more he loves you. How much is God chastening you? Now, we're going to look at some of the ways that he does that in just a little bit here. But he, he says here, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. So don't get discouraged if you're getting uh, rebuked, corrected. Things, if God is dealing with you, this is a good thing. It means he sees promise in you. Now, if you have a trainer, how many have ever had a trainer for, for some kind of physical type of a goal that you had? Either to get faster, to get stronger, to get slimmer, to get bigger, whatever it might be. We've had personal trainers and they come in and generally they tell you stuff you don't want to hear. All right, stop eating that. But I like that. Start eating this. I don't like those things. And so what happens is we have to either decide to listen to the trainer or not. Now, it depends on where you go. Your mentality has got to change. Most people's mentality when they come into a, a trainer or a coach or something is, all right, I'm going to let you go so far. But what they're basically saying is, I am still in charge. And I will decide whether I want to do what it is that you, you want me to do. All right, you come on in and the trainer's got a workout schedule for you. All right, I like that. Ex I don't like that exercise. You know, I don't, I don't work abs. You, you okay these ones? No, what do you do? The, the trainer comes in and says, this is what you do. This is what you do. This is, this is all there is to it. If you're, my wife was in uh, dancing and the trainer would come in and the coach would come in and they'd say, do this and do this for this long. And if you got tired, they didn't want to hear about it. They get tired, they'd whop you upside the head. Brother Keith Moore talks about his time in, in um, uh, I forget what uh, exactly he was. He was um, uh, ultimate fighting type, type of stuff. And so he said the school that he got into was old school. If you never heard him talk about this, old school. Concrete floors. No pads. And he said if you were doing an exercise wrong, then the trainer would instruct you better. And if you continue to do the exercise wrong, they said they would sweep your legs out from under you. You'd land on the concrete floor. And the proper response was, you bounce right back up and say, yes, sir. Thank you, sir. <laughs> now, how many of y'all know you've got to change your mentality to get to a spot like that? You don't necessarily have to, have to do that. We had that in, in cross country. Our coach would come out. He never one time ran with us. Never. Every time he came out and gave us our assignments, what we we're supposed to do, he sat there and waited for us to get done and come on back. Never one time did I ever see him run. 
And he would come on out there and he would assign us things. I, I, I won't tell you all the workouts he did because some of them were really pretty intense, pretty nasty. And what, what they were trying to do is they tried to get us to love hills. They wanted us to love hills. He wanted us, when he came on out and said, we're going to do this one and it's got all these nasty hills on it, he wanted us to be excited. If we were not excited, he trained us to become excited is what I'll, I'll let you, leave it at that because you didn't like the response if you weren't excited. If he came out and gave you a particularly hard speed workout, you got excited. Yeah, yeah, can we do it again? Can we do it again? Can we remember that workout we did? That was such a good workout. Let's do that again. And he, he developed that mentality. People who have gone through this type of training, whether it be in football, whether it be in hockey, whether it be in dance, whether it be whatever type of thing that you're in, if you get developed in that mentality, then when the coach, when the trainer tells you to do something that's hard, you get excited. Because you first off know the trainer, the coach is telling me to do things that will help me get better. If they're doing this with me, it's because they feel I can get better. If they feel I can get better, there, there must be some room for me to improve. And so every time that the coach gave you an assignment, you got excited. You were, this is, this is all right. This is, this is good for me to do. If the person who is helping you lose weight says, we're going to change some things up here. We're going to do this. They must feel that you have potential to reach the goal that you have. If they just say, you know what? It doesn't matter what we do. I had that happen one time. I had a trainer gave up on me. Totally gave up on me. He just came into me one time. He's a good friend of mine too. He's a good friend, but he's a good trainer. He'd come in and he'd, you know, he'd get in your face. And I liked the way he would, he would do that. And my goal was to try and gain some weight, gain some size, gain some muscle. And so he put me through routine after routine after routine. We worked at it for, I think, at least a year. One whole year, nothing. But he gave me the assignments. I did them. He watched me do them. He said, you're doing them right. You're, all these things. After a while, he just came to me. He'd do the measurements. You know, see if your arms grew. See if anything grew at all. See if, uh, if you got any weight, anything like that. And finally, he just threw up his arms. He said, Steve, I can't help you. <laughs> he says, I cannot get you to grow. And he just gave up. He said, there's nothing you can do. He said, unless you cut down your mileage that you're running, I don't think there's any way we're going to be able to do it. I said, well, I'm not going to cut that down. So we, uh, we just, he gave up on me. Have you ever had a, a, a trainer give up on you? That's not, I, I gave up myself. From that point on, I said, well, there's no, re, there's no way I'm ever going to get bigger arms or bigger shoulders or it's just not going to happen. Totally gave up on it. Never tried it again. That was a couple decades ago. Never tried it again. See, if, if the trainer believes in you, They'll keep coming up to you and, and they'll keep giving you new things. This is going to help. This is going to work. This is going to get you over there. If the Lord is continually coming up to us and telling us, now study in this area. Now work in the, Now see that sin over there? Trim that off. Now do this. Then he believes in us. He thinks that we're going to get better. He thinks that things are going to happen. He loves us. Have you ever seen parents of children who ignore them? They didn't grow up very well, did they? And those kids really don't know that their parents love them. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He scourges every son whom he receives. Every, all legitimate sons are chastened. All of them. If you are a legitimate son in the family, we're not talking male, female, we're talking sons. That's a position. All legitimate sons are chastened. Do not think you don't need it. You have not arrived yet. You're not close 
to having arrived. In fact, the more that you are realizing how far there is to go, the more you realize I have not arrived and he has a lot of work yet to do with me. So don't be surprised when the chastening comes. Don't be discouraged. That's the kind of mindset you have to have. When he comes in and he says, it's going to be hill workouts today. It's going to be scales today. You're going to do scales for two hours. Scales for two hours. Why would I do that? Whatever it's going to be, don't get discouraged. This is going to help. He says in verse 7, if you endure chastening. That's a conditional statement, isn't it? If you endure chastening. That means there's a lot of people out there who do not endure, endure chastening. They quit. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Now look at this last verse. If you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. You want to spot the false people in the body of Christ? Look at the ones who don't receive chastening. Look at the ones who aren't chastened at all. Those are the ones that are illegitimate. That's what he says. If you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Now, what would get God to quit chastening you? If we stop responding. The more I don't respond to God, the less he can do with me. I have to keep listening. I have to keep going. He says, if you endure, if you endure chastening, if you endure chastening, it's not easy. It's not a fun thing to be chastened. It's not great for people to come up behind you and, and to be telling you all the time what you're doing wrong. But you need to be able to, to do that. You need to listen. You need to hear. I put this in your outline for you. God can only take us as far as our endurance will tolerate. He can only take you as far as your endurance will tolerate. If you have a certain level, and I can't take any more than that, that's as far as you can go. God cannot take you any further. He might like to. He might have called you to go on to something further. But if you will not endure the chastening, He cannot take you on. He can only take you as far as your endurance will tolerate. Now, chastening is painful. Chastening hurts. Pretty much, there's nothing that you would do that a coach would have you do that does not hurt some. Usually, it hurts a lot. If you're going to be in uh, 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 music, if you're going to be in vocals and singing, then you're going to sing until it's boring, until it's, it's, it's hurtful, hurtful. My parents tried to get me into playing piano. Now, for me, playing piano was painful. It was not painful because my fingers hurt because I didn't play that long. It was painful because I, went, I didn't want to sit. Piano is taking me away from playing hockey outside, from playing football with my friends. This is what piano was doing. This is painful. This is very painful indeed. Every time I sat down there, you know, to practice, you got 30 minutes, you got to practice. 30 minutes. It was painful. Every moment of it was painful. It hurt. Now, you take someone like Nikolai, who's very adept at the piano and went through Juilliard and all the different things. He went through stuff that I don't even know what kind of pain is. Because for me, I can't get past the part of being bored at the piano and wanting to be outside playing hockey and, and all that. But I'm sure he's played until his fingers were sore and his arms were sore. 
and his body was sore. He kept on playing and kept on going and kept on because Juilliard's not it's not an easy school. It's a, it's a tough one, and you just keep on going and they they keep asking you. We would sit there and we would listen to a piece that someone from that school would do. We'd say, wow, that was good. And the instructor, what would they do? Man, that was terrible. can't believe you actually produced it. You need to stop this and you did this and you did this. Didn't they ever do that to you? Everybody else is around. <laughs> How good it was. And he's there picking you apart. She's there picking you apart and telling you what all the things you did that were wrong. Why did they do that? Because they believe that you have better things ahead. And so they get you to, to do it. But if you don't endure it, What's that instructor going to do? <laughs> Why are you here? Get out. Let somebody else come in here and take this, this spot. They won't, uh, they won't do it. But chasing it is painful. It's, it's not easy. It takes work on your part to receive the chastening. You have to be open to it. You have to be ready for people to step into your life and to begin to speak some things into it. Now, once you get people, they get into your life and they begin to speak some of these things to it, whether it's God speaking to you or uh, other believers and they're speaking, the enemy's going to come along. He's going to find fault with all those folks why you shouldn't receive it. He's going to try and get you to stop being enduring when these things are going on. He doesn't want you to endure this stuff because it's only going to make you better. Verse 9, Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us. We paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. He wants you to become a partaker of his holiness. That's why he does the things with you that he does. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. How many can say amen to that? But painful, nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. There is a training that comes from the chastening of the Lord. There's a training that comes. You need to be able to, to grow in it. God is going to be training you on how to pray. God's going to train you on, on what to do. But you're going to fall back to some of the things that were comfortable. Some of the things that you did that were, were, were um, normal. That you, that you had done before. You're going to go back to some of your old eating habits. You're going to go back to some of your old workout habits. And the trainer's going to come in. If you've ever done any work on any of those uh, weights and the machines, there's a right way to do it. And there's a whole lot of wrong ways to do it. But there is one right way to do it. There could be 20 different wrong ways to do it. The 20 different wrong ways are the ways you will do it if you do it on the, without a trainer. If you just sit down on one of those machines and just say, I'm going to do this thing, I guarantee you, you are doing it wrong. And you'll say, no, I know I'm not. I'm lifting it up the way I'm supposed to. It's going up. It's coming down. No, you're doing it wrong. All you've got to do is get a trainer and say, will you follow me around and will you help me? I had this, somebody did this with me one time. The trainer I told you about before. And, you know, he, he set me loose on an exercise and I was real excited because I was put more weight on the thing and I was doing more reps, more reps, more weight. Oh, this is good. This is good. And so he came on around. He was checking on me and uh, I was telling, you know, I was doing pretty good. Weights and going up, doing more reps. And he said, all right, let's, let's take a look. I put it on the weight that I had and I started doing it. And all of a sudden he came over and he put his hand on my shoulder to force me to do it right. All of a sudden I couldn't lift that weight anymore. I said, man, now it's, it's so much harder. I couldn't even get it up one time. And uh, so we had to put the, the weight. That's, that's tough to put the weight down. 
That's not good. It's, you don't like to put the weight down. You want to keep the weight up. I had to put the weight down. And he says, well, you're doing it wrong. You're cheating. Other muscles are being used and not the ones we're trying to isolate on this machine. You need to do it like this. You need to watch yourself in the mirror. That's why if you're in a workout place, they have all those mirrors around so that you can see whether you're doing it wrong. That's why you can get all puffed up and look at me. That's not the idea. Because more than likely, you will do it wrong. Your body will try and cheat. And if you get somebody else there who watches you, they can say, oh, look, your shoulders are going up. Your shoulders are, are not in the right spot. You're using your arms. You're not using this. You're, it's, it's so easy to use the other muscles. Well, I'm still using muscles. Yes, but not the ones you're supposed to do. And it's not going to help you. You got to make sure that you get into that, into that form of the, of the thing. And so they come along and they tell you, put your arms here, put your shoulders down. Oh, but it's so much harder. I don't like it that way. It's harder that way. I don't get as much weight that way. I don't get as many reps that way. I'm not as excited about it that way. You got to listen. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. <laughs> it's never fun. But painful nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Because you can get discouraged. He says, strengthen them. Come on, let's go. And make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Do you see that word many? That means more than a few, right? Bitterness will come in. And it will defile you. It will mess you up. The root of bitterness will come in. Cause trouble. And many have become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. You go through the proper chastening, you go through the proper training, you will find out what is valuable and what is not. And you'll pursue those things that have value. And you'll let go of those things that don't. Esau didn't do that. He didn't get to that place. Well, turn on over to Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. There are four types of correction that we have, and they progress one to the other. The first one is internal, or I put in parentheses, self. First type is internal or self-correction. In, in 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Word of God will come in, into you and it will help you. It will, it will inspire you. It will teach you, it will reprove you, it will correct you. That's what the Word of God will do. You read the Word of God, you say, oh, I'm supposed to do it this way, but I'm doing it this way. There's a correction that's there. In 1 Corinthians 11:26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of, of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. 
For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Those are bad, bad things. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. With the world. So the Lord comes along and He chastens us through the Word. Through the, but if we judge ourselves, if I can come in and I can say, what I'm doing here is not right. If I was in that workout room and I could look at the mirror and judge myself, my form is not right. I wouldn't need the trainer to come over to me, tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, that's not right. I would correct it myself. But if I'm not correcting it myself, someone else is going to come along and they're going to correct it for me. But this is the first type of correction that we need to do. And that's just that's internal. That's me, myself. When we're doing something, sometimes we've had things in the church here and other pastors do have done the same thing where you have something going on. Well, instead of running around and correcting everybody, you teach on it. And if you teach on it, that gives people an opportunity to self-correct. Oh, that's how I'm supposed to do. Oh, that's the attitude I'm supposed to have. Oh, that's the way it's supposed to go. You give them an opportunity to self-correct. If they don't take it and they don't self-correct, then what do we do? You got to go to the next step. Next step is external. Second Timothy 2 and verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do it. One of the roles that we have in the body of Christ is to help other believers and correct them. But the first thing we want to try and do is train them up on how to self-correct. If they're not self-correcting, then we, the mature believers, need to step in and, and, and help them out. But you need to do it humbly, not in a bad attitude way. Second Timothy 3, verse 1, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. So these kind of things are going to go on. They didn't self-correct. They turned away from it. In the end times, people are going to be loving of themselves. The Word of God tells us that they're going to have itching ears. They're going to uh, bring out teachers that will teach them what they want to hear instead of the things that will help them get corrected. First Corinthians 5, verse 12, For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, report away from yourselves the evil person. We are here to help each other along. If I am not self-correcting, someone else can step into my life and begin to do that and to begin to, to help that process out. So there is internal correction, and then there is external correction. It comes from outside. Here's the third one, rebuke. A little sterner. This can be done by the Lord to us, or it can be done through other people. But we get rebuked in Matthew 18, verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you two or more. One or two more. And by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. 
And here he gives us the whole process that we're giving you here with these four. That first off, you should self-correct. If that doesn't happen, someone else ought to come who has seen it, who has spotted it. If someone has sinned against you, you need to go to that person privately. Not out in the open, but privately. And talk to them. Hey, what's going on here? And address it. If it doesn't work, then you start bringing other people into it. If that doesn't work, then you start, you, you bring it out into the whole church. And if they still don't listen, now you treat them as a heathen. That doesn't mean they're ostracized. We, can, we, we can't ever do anything with them again. You just treat them as a heathen. How do you treat heathens? Don't you try and win them over for God? Don't you try and minister to them for salvation? But you don't treat them as believers. They've obviously shown themselves not to be. So there's a rebuke. That rebuke is going to be a lot stronger. When you go up and correct somebody, you're trying, hey, look, this is what the Word said. This is what you're supposed to be doing. You, you shouldn't be doing this. And if they're not listening, sometimes you just got to come up and you got to take care of that. David was an example of this. David was not self-correcting. He had the sin with Bathsheba and then he fell into other sins and he just was going down the wrong road. Not correcting and he's going in a, in a bad way. So he sent the prophet and the prophet rebuked him. David, you are the man. Because he had not heard anything else that had come. When David was rebuked by the prophet, he immediately said, I have sinned. And he repented. And he turned around. Saul went the same direction. He wasn't self-correcting. But when people came and corrected him, he didn't receive it. He got rebuked. He didn't receive that. And then God finally said something. I'm sorry I have made Saul king. And the word of God says that he took the kingdom from Saul and gave it to another. And here's the fourth step. Subtract. If you do not listen to self-correction, to correction from others, if you do not listen when you are rebuked, the next step is subtraction. Some things that you like are going to be removed. That's not a good place to be. But this is what God has done. He's outlined it in Deuteronomy with the children of Israel that if you are disobedient, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send prophets. We're going to do this. We're going to do, if you don't do that, then, other, then enemies are going to come out and pestilence will be there and all these things. You're going to lose some things. Israel, here's some examples. Israel lost their homeland. They were in the land of uh, Canaan that God had given them. And when they would not listen to the prophets who came to rebuke them, when they did not listen to self-correction, when they did not listen to, to correction from other people, and the prophets came and said, Repent or you will die. Repent or you will be taken out of this land. They didn't listen. And so what happened? Subtraction. They lost their land. They lost their cities. Things were, were gone. Kings who didn't listen lost their throne. They lost their lives. They lost their dynasties. When Jeroboam did not listen to being rebuked, God pulled that from him. You're not going to have this anymore. I'm going to give it to someone else. And he did. The Pharisees lost their place. They had a place of being a religious leader. And Jesus came and rebuked them. They weren't listening to self-correction. They didn't listen when other people corrected them. They didn't listen when Jesus came in and rebuked them. He just got right up there and said, you guys are making, uh, you're making a shambles of things. You've made my house into a den of thieves, he would say. And he'd overturn the table. That's a rebuke. He disrupted that whole place. These are, these are not good things to have go on. What stage does it take to get you to listen? 
God does not want to get to a place of subtraction. But He has to. He'll take some things away. Some of it we just lose because we're not walking in the direction that we're supposed to be going into. But see, this is what the, the devil wants. He knows about the chastening of the Lord. So he wants to put you in a place where you will be chastened, where you will be admonished, where you will be rebuked. And then he wants to get you mad so that you don't listen to the rebuke so that God will begin to subtract. It's his goal. That's what he wants to do. Remember back in the Old Testament, Balaam and Balak. They got together and uh, when they couldn't curse, curse Israel from the mountains, they came to, he came in and he said, look, this is what you do. This is what you do. Send the women on down. Do this. Have them dress a certain way. Have them uh, entice the men. And then bring them into some of their sacrifices and some of their worship of idols. And that will get God mad at them. And then God will come against them. That's a, that was the teaching of Balaam. That's the things that he had done. And they did it. And it almost worked. Moses got involved though. And uh, they, they uh, took care of a couple of people. A couple of people died. A couple of people died. Priest went out there with a spear. Took care of a couple of them. And that example helped turn some things around. But God does not want to get us to a place where we're losing stuff. But this is what the enemy wants us to do. He's got to foul up your factory. So he's got to take the things that are good and get you to despise them. And take those things that are bad and get you to honor them. It's exactly what he did with Rehoboam. Remember the story of Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, came to the throne. And the people came to him and they said, Your father was pretty hard on us. It was a real tough time. We had to build a lot of things. But uh, you, if you back off, we'll, uh, we'll worship you or we'll, we'll serve you always. We, they're going to worship God, but we'll serve you always. And so he said, all right, give me three days and I'll give you my answer. So they went away. And so he went to the wise men, the men who advised his father Solomon. And they told him, they said, you know, if you back off a little bit here and if you just go easy with them, it will go real far for you. And these people will serve you all their lives. And uh, all right, that's, that's uh, good. Now he went and found the guys that he grew up with. What do you guys think we ought to do? Oh, don't you do that. Don't you give in. No, no. You tell them some tough words. My father whipped you with whips. I'll use scorpions. And I've got more in my little finger than my dad had in his whole body. And so they, they heard that. He came on out and he said that to them. And they said, all right, we're done with the house of David. And the whole northern tribes all split off. And they went. And the tribe of Judah is the only one who stayed with with David's house. He lost some things. There was some subtraction there. See, the, the enemy caused him to despise what was good and to honor what was bad. One more story for you. Absalom. Remember, he revolted against David. And he had a, one of the wisest counselors, Ahithophel. Oh, they said, if you talk to him, it's like talking to God. He just had such wise words. And so he, uh, he was counseling them all through this, how to do the rebellion. It was all working. It was all working. And so David sent Hushai back to be one of his counselors to try and stop the counsel of, of Ahithophel. And so they came on in and they were saying, what shall we do? 
Well, should we go and pursue David? David's already left the city. And so Ahithophel says, yes, pursue him. If you can kill David now while they're scrambling, then uh, the rest of the men will scatter and there won't be any more fight to do. And it was good counsel. But, uh, but Hushai came in there and says, no, 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 no. That's, that's not good. Let's get all Israel gathered under your reign. And you lead them out in the battle. And you go at the forefront. And you be the guy. And you go into battle. And you let them see you act as king. Oh, that sounds good. That sounds good. And so they said, well, let's, let's, uh, this time the advice of a Hushai is better than Ahithophel. Let's go with that. And Ahithophel saw the writing on the wall. He saw that what was good was despised and what was bad was honored. And he said, this isn't going anywhere. And so he went and put his house in order and killed himself because he knew the end was, was soon. And sure enough, it was. He didn't, uh, he didn't last much longer than that. The enemy wants you to despise the good things that are there in your life right now. And he wants you to honor the things that are bad. And if he gets you to do that, then inside your meditations that we showed you last week, your meditations will be all wrong. You'll be thinking thoughts of fear. You'll be thinking thoughts of worry, thoughts of distrust, thoughts of betrayal, all these things. And your beliefs are going to be formed from those. And now your actions, the things that you do, the things that you give, the things that you say are all based on those And what you're doing is not producing peace, it's not producing joy, it's not producing faith. And it produces defeat in your life. Now the thing of it all is, this happens over a period of time. It doesn't happen in a day. And most people don't even recognize when it's happening. But the better you are at listening to self-correction, listening when someone steps up and talks to you and says, hey, don't go down this road. Listening when you get to the third stage and are rebuked. And doing as David did and turning around. You won't get to the place of subtraction. But that's the path that we would be on. Now some people when they got to the place of subtraction. Listened. When they lost some stuff. They began to listen. And they came back. Sure is a whole lot better if we don't have to get to that spot. How I respond to correction. Will show me what and who I am truly submitted to. How you respond What's really tell you? There's a lot of people say, well, I submit to this. No, you don't really. Because as soon as they tell you something that's too hard to do, beyond your endurance, you'll show that, no, we're not submitted to that. If a good source corrects me, will I cut them off? If you have a good source, my wife and I, we could tell you stories on this. We won't, but we could. The number of people who have said to us, if I'm ever off, if, I'm ever, if you ever see me getting off, just tell me. You have my permission to rebuke me, to, to correct me, and get me. And I'll tell you what, never has it worked. Anybody who has ever said that. Now, some people said, and I said, oh, I know this one's going to work. Did not work. Did not work. By the time they got to that point and they were off and we tried to tell them some things, they'd shut us off. They wouldn't take phone calls. They wouldn't listen. They wouldn't, nothing. It was, it was gone. It can, it can get cut off. But, but they're at, I know when they said it. My wife, when they said it, they, that's what they meant. They meant it with all their heart. But somehow things changed. It doesn't change overnight. It changes over time. And the enemy knows how to do it. He knows how to cut off the good sources, increase the bad, 
and get you to honor them. He knows how to make you resistant to correction. First off, he's going to get you to resist internal correction. And when you hear something from the word, I don't need to do that. Or we just hear it. Well, I'm doing that already. How much endurance do you have? How much endurance do you really have? The only way that you can build up your endurance is to keep doing what it is you're trying to endure with. If you're going to try to increase your endurance for correction, it means you will get more correction. And you just have to keep telling God, God, keep pouring it on. Keep correcting me. If you keep correcting me, I'll keep getting better. I'll keep getting it. And it just shows me that you love me. Keep correcting me. The proper response if someone comes into our life and speaks correction to us is, yes, sir. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Not, well, you know, you shouldn't have swept the legs out from under me and had me land on the hard concrete floor. There was other ways for you to do it. And we start judging the, the corrector. Well, you could have done it this way. You could have, if you would have done this, maybe I would have listened a little bit better. No. If someone comes into your life and they have need of correcting you, I don't care how they did it. Listen to it. Fix it. Get it right. If you were in the army, Brother Jolly, Brother Lamar, been in, her, been in the service. If, if a, a commanding officer comes and tells you something, do you have any recourse to say, you know, I wish you wouldn't have used that language. I, you, you could have phrased that a little nicer. You know, if you would have said please, I would have done it. Right? We all laugh at that because we know there's no way that's going on in the army. Navy, Air Force, Marine. None of them are going to do it. No. In fact, if you respond that way, you know what they're going to do? They're going to make it worse for you than the next one. They're going to be more whatever it is you say you don't want. You've got to increase your endurance. You've got to make yourself be able to take it. God's speaking to me any, any way that you need to. How much correction I can take will, have, will pave the way for how far God can take me. It's all about how much you can take. And when you hit your limit on correction, you've hit your limit where you can go with God. It's not how much word you can learn. It's how much correction you can take. And here's the big one. And how much he can entrust to me. God cannot entrust the best things with those who cannot endure. He cannot do it. If you show that you have a very small amount of endurance in the area of correction, God cannot trust you with anything great. Because you can't take it. Because the more we do for Him, the more He's going to have to correct us. The more He's going to have to shape us. If you have, just think of it this way, if you have an employee where you work and you have one who's super sensitive and you can't speak to him about anything that they're doing wrong, you have to just live with it. Are you going to give them the important tasks? Or are you going to give the important tasks to someone that if you speak something to them in one or two sentences, they make altering changes? They fix it right away. That's the ones that you can trust. That's the ones God can trust. They're the ones we need to be. We've got to maintain that factory of faith that we have. We've got to maintain that factory and produce good things like peace, like joy. We've got to look for places that we can... We can put these things out. We've got to look for places that we can, we can say creative things. We've got to look for places that we can give. We've got to look for places that we can do what we're learning in the Word. 
We find those places and we keep continually putting out good things, good things to do, good things to give, good things to say. We will grow. Look for opportunities, not just opportunities here in the church, opportunities out where you work, opportunities out where you're a neighbor, opportunities wherever it is that you are. There's opportunities still here in the church. We might be small. We might look around and say, well, everything's already done. No, we've got more stuff to do. We still got more things to, to go on. We have a we have a nursery and a toddler room. Well, I'm not called to that. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Can't endure, huh? You're saying I got no endurance in that area. You see, if God were to come over to you and say, "I need you to do this," what do we say? God says, "Jump." We say, "Yes, sir." How high? That's just, that's how we get trained. But see, that's training. That takes training to do that. Depends on what you're going to listen to. If you're a musician, are you going to listen to your mind that is distracted and wants to go off and do other things? Or are you going to discipline yourself and do what's in front of you? If you're an entertainer, dance, acting, whatever it is, are you going to refine your craft? Or are you going to be distracted by things? If critics come in and they say bad things about how you did that play, are you going to grow from it? Or are you going to get discouraged? It's all up to us. How much can we endure? The enemy is patient, and he wants to wear away the things that are good in your life and turn you into those people in the Old Testament who once were following after God and then turned away. And don't think it can't happen to you. The Word of God is very clear about that in the New Testament when it says, when you correct someone, make sure you understand, I could fall too. You correct them with that kind of an attitude. Not one that says, I'm better than everybody else. I wouldn't have fallen for that. Don't do it. Don't do it. You've got to maintain that factory. If that factory is going to continue to produce faith, produce joy, produce peace, produce good things, if it's going to keep producing, you've got to maintain it. You've got to keep it going. You've got to keep all aspects going. What am I receiving? What am I meditating on? Parts in the middle. And then at the end, what am I giving? What am I doing? And what am I saying? Those are your outputs. What is your factory producing. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, we thank you that we can produce. We can produce good things. We can produce great things if we just increase our endurance. We say that we are submitted to you. We say that we honor you. But when you come and you speak to us through your word, when you come and you speak to us through other servants, when you come and have to rebuke us on a matter, are we truly submitted to you? Are we ready to respond? Do we hear it and say, well, I'll respond to that someday? Or do we say, I'll respond to that now? How much can we take? Father, we need to increase our endurance for correction. Because you say, you correct, you chasten those that you love. We want to give you an opportunity to love us even more. Thank you, Father, for your chastening. Thank you for your correction. Thank you for your help to keep us on the right path. To not become like the Jeroboams. To not become like the Saul's. But to become like the Moseses and the Joshua's. And the people who responded to correction and grew. That's what we want to be. Increase our endurance. We're ready to hear. We're ready to be corrected. 
We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. We got some praise reports? Things God's been doing? Anybody else? Okay, Susan has two here. She says, um, I was overwhelmed with tasks at work, and when I returned after being out for two days, all of the statements were done, and my boss brought in some, someone else to help me for a whole week. So someone else helped to pitch in and get her work finished. That can help. Um, she said, I, had, I also had a tax appointment yesterday, and worry was trying to get me. Um, I refused to entertain those thoughts, and praise the Lord, I'm getting a nice refund. Amen. Candy ha- also had two. She says, we had to take the car to get it inspected, and um, there was also a wobble in the front tire, so they fixed what uh, they fixed it, we thought, but the next day the wobble was still there, so we took it back, and this time they said that we needed new rotors, but praise God, they didn't charge us for the rotors, so God had already planned that out for them. Mm-hmm. Amen. She also says, when they were con- at the convenience store, we were standing at the counter, and they found a $5 bill just sitting there at their feet. <laughs> What's that? Four. 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 Oh, four five dollar bills. Oh, <laughs> well, praise God. All right, and Mercy says, while the praise and worship was going on, I saw in the spirit physical and spiritual attacks broken and loosed. God wants all to receive this victory because the he overcame them all. And it's funny, when we were singing that song, um, uh, Overcome, what I kept hearing was, I overcome. I overcome. Too many times if we just constantly say, you overcome, we keep thinking that he's the only one with the victory, but it's because he overcame that we overcome. So um, next time maybe we'll change those words a little bit. Um, Daryl says, when I opened the envelope for my check this morning, I discovered that there was cash in (laughs) excess of the amount that I was supposed to be paid. (laughs) Praise God for that. Amen. Any other praise reports? Prayer requests? Do we have announcements yet? Hmm? Do them now? Okay, two announcements. They are in your bulletin, but um, we have two things that I need to hear about from people on. Actually, three. I just thought of a third one. But the missions trip. Um, if anybody is planning on having their kids go on the missions trip or if you are considering doing uh, being a chaperone, I do need to hear from you. There's two possibilities. One of them is we could buddy up with Tash Ministries International. In order to do that, um, I have to know, like, by the, even before next Sunday, um, it's I'm sorry, $395 to go with them if they're going to a Navajo re- reservation, but that's, also, that's not including the cost to fly there. The other option is we can join another church and go into Philadelphia. It's much, much closer. Um, it's $299 to do that, and there's two opportunities for the people who are going there. One is that they would be building houses and fixing up houses, and the other one is that they would be doing street ministry. So that is for children ages from 12 and on up. So if you're interested in that, please let me know. Also, um, the all-nighter. Uh, the all-nighter, yes. I have to have permission slips from parents as soon as possible um, so that we know about that. And the other thing is the Financial Peace University. I've not heard back from too many people that they are interested. I do need to hear that more than one or two people are <laughs> interested. So if you'd like to be involved in the uh Financial Peace University, just let me know. I will be ordering the workbooks. If it turns out that not too many are interested, we can make it a home thing and just meet at somebody's house and watch the videos there. Okay? So just let me know about that as soon as you can. All right. Today we have the uh, end times class. We'll start off about 1 o'clock. If you uh, wanted to stay for that, just come on back. Go out and get yourself something to eat if you want. If you brought something with you, kitchen is open if you want to 
have lunch in there. And uh, we'll start here at 1 o'clock. We're on finishing up Daniel chapter 7 and the 